Infirmary Media. People engage in stuff for jeweling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Who culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Broadcasting from the Infirmary Media Studios, it's the adult only retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for as we return to tag team action here on our show. I am Mark James, one half of the team known the world over and in certain small circles in the Hong Kong underbelly as the Mama Lukes. And my tag team partner is the man with the plan. He is the Dueling Decades champion, Man Crush. What's up? Let's do this. We got January 93. I am excited to take on the 90s for once. Or not take them on, but be them. Live in them again. I love it. Let's do it. And our opponents. So we got January 1983. My partner and I, we are the Retro Stallions. My buddy, Bobby Smellsberger. How you doing, Bobby? Hey, everyone. I'm Bobby. Well, not the real Bobby. Since the real Bobby totally dropped the ball on his audio track for this episode. He's been replaced by a far more responsible cyborg. Isn't technology amazing? I'm bringing it tonight, people. Carlos and I are going to take this game away from the Mamelukes. January 1983 will reign superior. Ha 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 ha. Woo. And, by the way, I finger my butthole. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So let me introduce to you tonight's judge. He is the sultry voice from Southie, the comic book reading, serial eating, Sears catalog beaten host of the Selling Out Show. Please rise for Judge Dave Schultz. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Happy to be here. I'm a little high on cold meds tonight, so please don't take advantage of me. And if you do, I don't know, don't take any photos of it, please. Again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judge's coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five dueling decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Smack it up, flip it, rub it down. Oh no, it's time to play. Decades. Very nice. All right, let's go right down to Judge Dave Schultz for the official toss-off. Yeah, you know, every time I'm on and I get to judge, I like to bring in a movie or VHS case to flip around and, you know, see who's going first. And tonight I really overthought it but I think you guys might like it. I brought a copy of the Paul Hogan and Elijah Wood masterpiece, Flipper. <laughs> Just for the kids. Okay. Nice. So, uh, yeah, so we got the front cover here. Is that a clamshell? This is a clamshell. It is indeed. So uh, it should be really good for flipping. But uh, we get the front cover with the tight, uh, with the main character here and Paul Hogan and Elijah Wood. And on the back, 
more of the same, it seems like, except there is a odd shower scene featuring Mr. Hogan. Nice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, Bobby, you're the new fish. Why don't you call it? All we are is dust in the wind, dude. Because we're the retro stallions, we're going to go with Tails and the glorious Paul Hogan. Crocodile Dundee like a motherfucker. Lick my taint. There you go. Let's see what we get. Going for that shower scene. And it scene. is the shower scene. Tails has won. <laughs> All right. So you guys have control of the board. What category would you like to go with first? Uh, Bobby, I think I'm going to jump in. I'm gonna, we're going to knock out this one just because I, I think we're going to... I think we can knock it out with this, just this one. So we're going to go with movies. Alrighty. All right. So the one we got here was released January 21st, 1983, directed by Mark Rosman. Probably not a familiar name, but he's been working. And it was The House on Sorority Row. Uh, Small-time horror, budget of only about 425000 You know, not bad. You think horror back in the 80s, was it going to gross? Maybe had double that a little bit more? No. $10.6 million on $425,000. That is. That's, that's, that's now like sequels and franchises, universe type of, uh, type of money. But this is a first time director, writer, horror movie of all genres, um, turning his budget, you know, 10, more than 10 times over. It's, it's crazy. Uh, so like I said, his first time director, he, they went on to make other movie, uh, sequel, Sorority Row. So it did have a, uh, you know, a little bit of a franchise. It has a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. And in 2017, Complex named the uh, movie 21st best selling, uh, best slasher film of all time. Uh, and it's, it was made reference in Scream, uh, Scream 2. So you know, it has, an, it's held in a little bit of that cult status, high regard. Yeah, because, yeah, because, you know, a lot of horror films, there's so many, it's hard to get a cult following. This one definitely has its cult following. And I, I've honestly never heard of it until I looked it up and saw it and read a little bit about it. But, <laughs> I mean, it's it's definitely has its following and, and it's grown over the years. So uh, I think this one uh, knocks it out of the park. Isn't it amazing how horror movies come out in January? Oh, yeah. yeah they, they I never just, understood January's that. always been the dumping ground for whatever movie. Yeah, seriously, they're you're such like you're over Christmas. It's, you're yeah, over it's, the holidays. It's the counter programming after Christmas. Yeah, you just want to see somebody mm-hmm. die. Yeah, and exactly. Live out a little yeah. fantasy you just wanted to do like three weeks ago. <laughs> and anytime you can put Santa Claus with a hatchet in his hand too, that's gold right there. So yes. All right, Bobby, what do you have for your movies selection? For movies, I'm going with a movie that's about post-apocalyptic Texas in the year 2020. This gem is called. 2020 Texas Gladiators, directed by Schlock, Grindhouse Master, Joe D'Amato. The same guy that directed amazing movies such as, Buried Alive, Death Smiles on a Murderer, Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals and of course everyone's favorite, Sex Penitentiary. This movie though, it features absolutely no one you would know, it's received less than 5 stars on IMDb, and appears to have only gotten a release in Italy. But, it's got the year 2020 in it and has shirtless dudes riding horses. Sounds amazing, am I right? Perfect for a case of Pap's Blue Ribbon and a night with the boys in the basement. Worth checking out. Oh. <laughs> Bobby's bringing it, man. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, that's over to us. You want to start this one? You want me to start this one? How you want to go? I'll start this one off. All right, you go for it. All right, guys. So here on the show, we like to do our research sometimes over at newspapers.com. Great research. You got to go back to the foundations of journalism. If it's put in print, you know it's good to go. So sometimes we look a little deep for these movies. 
So I went back to the Orlando Sentinel, published January 29th, 1993, and I found an ad here for a place called Capone's. Unlimited dinner, cocktails, and a show. For $19.95, you can take part in the Italian buffet, which has 15 items. Get unlimited cocktails, which includes Bud, Bud Light, Al's Rum Runners, and Sangria, all for $19.95. And there's a nice coupon on the bottom you can use, too. It's a special offer, free movie passes to Columbia Pictures' advanced screening of the new movie Groundhog Day. Offer valid January 31st, February 1st, and February 2nd. The ad says present this coupon for up to six admissions. Holy shit. According to the ad in this print, on January 31st, 1993, you could go see the movie Groundhog Day, starring Bill Murray... Of course, the movie opened February 12th, and it has become an instant classic by then. I'm sure I don't have to go into too much detail. As we say on this show, if you've never heard of Groundhog Day, you have more important things to do than to be listening to this show. So, of course, Groundhog Day, one of the all-time classics with Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, Chris Elliott. It's on TBS probably every 15 minutes. You can't go wrong with that. It's rated one of the all-time great comedies of all time. So that's what I got, a very special sneak preview of Groundhog Day, January 31st, 1993. Man Crush. All right, so here we go. January 8th, 1993, much like Carlos's pick. And it starred an actress that now makes $2 million an episode producing for Apple TV+. I'd say she's done pretty well for herself since this movie, and the movie didn't do too bad either. The movie made about $9 million in 1993, $16 million in 2020, and spurned off seven sequels. No exaggeration, seven fucking sequels, eight total movies. This movie in particular, it's totally categorized as a cult classic. And over the course of eight films, the antagonist has been to Ireland, a farmhouse in North Dakota, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Compton in the 90s, (laughs) Sands Dr. Dre, of course, Outer Space. Then he went back to the hood. And rounded it all out with a tale of 2018 by going back to North Dakota. So you could say it's been an interesting trip for this little Irish hooligan in the Warwick Davis classic Leprechaun. Again, once again, another horror movie released in January of 1993. Leprechaun also starred in her feature film debut, the beautiful and never aging Jennifer Aniston. This is about a year removed from her getting the role of Rachel Green in the iconic sitcom Friends. And you can't forget Warwick Davis, of course, like I mentioned before, he did six of these Leprechaun movies, and he's done a bunch of other iconic movies, Harry Potter, Willow, a flick named Star Wars or something. And I don't know if you guys remember this since we rented movies all the time, but do you remember Trimark Pictures? Do you remember the uh, the intro for Trimark? Oh, yeah. They put out some classics. This was actually the first in-house production from Trimark to actually get a theatrical release. It's almost like the Canon films of the 90s. Lots of straight-to-video gems, but that's what I'm going with. It's the initial Leprechaun, January 8th, 1993. Off to David Schultz. Judge David Schultz. Yes, thank you. Use my title, please. I've earned it. (laughs) All right. I think I have. Who knows? Uh, Movies. Okay. So, 83, House on Sorority Row, Carlos mentioned it got 56% on that shriveled vegetable site. Uh, the one flaw here is that he's never heard of it. 
I think it's a little bit of a bad sign that you didn't ever, you know, come across this movie until you actually had to research the year. Bobby did a great sell on Texas Gladiators, but he did end it with the shirtless cowboy <laughs> is the whole reason to get your, your boys together to watch a movie. Not saying there's anything wrong with it, but, you know, hey. Uh, 93, uh, Groundhog Day. I almost missed what the movie was because Mark, with his old lead-in, was just really <laughs> making me hungry. Yeah, I'm starving now, so thanks a lot for that. Uh, interesting tidbit about that movie, too, is it ruined Bill Murray's relationship with Harold Ramis. Uh, if you guys didn't know that, which is actually yeah. a sad detail from the film as well. And then uh, Man Crush came with Leprechaun. I mean, who doesn't know the Leprechaun franchise? So I'm going to give the win here to, as much as I want to give it to a shirtless cowboy, I got to give it to 1993. All right, Man Crush, we pick up the first point and control of the board. What category should we go with next, man? Uh, I think we should go with news. It's good with you. Sounds good. You want to start this one off? Sure. All right, January 12th, 1993. And like Mark said before, newspapers.com this is where we get a lot of our stuff from. And matter of fact, I also got this one from the Orlando Sentinel, believe it or not, out of all the ah, fucking newspapers nice. on there. I like their layout. It's very nice. At least it was it 1993. Props to the people out the Orlando Sentinel, circa 1993. <laughs> I don't know if it's still like that, but yeah, in 93 it was all right. All right, so I picked this one because I actually still believed the complete opposite of this news story until I read this article. So I would say this is some important news. It's almost like a like a public service to some people yeah, like Mark's wife didn't even know this when he told her and Mark didn't know either. So this is big shit. They hid this news. All right. So it's the title of this article from uh, Tom McCubin, excellent reporter, poinsettias, not poisonous. No matter what anyone says, the poinsettia is not poisonous. A persistent rumor suggests that the poinsettia is deadly, but scientists at Ohio State University say that's not true. In studies, poinsettia plant portions fed to rats in excessive quantities produce no ill effects. The dose the rats consumed was equivalent to a 50-pound child eating 500 to 600 of these colorful bracks. What the fuck's a brack? From Space Ghost, coast to coast. <laughs> Some people may be sensitive to the plant's sap and could get a skin rash, but no one has died. But he did add, but not all holiday gift plants are as safe as a poinsettia. Azaleas and the Jerusalem cherry are extremely poisonous if eaten, can be fatal. Symptoms of poisoning include headache, nausea, and respiratory difficulty. You're welcome, people. Now you can eat your plants, your poinsettias. <laughs> if your dog eats it, you don't have to like pump have his stomach. It. I swear to this, like till I read this article, we always put our poinsettia plants like where our animals could not get at them because we always thought they were poisonous. Right. But lo and behold, it's just a wives' tale. Who knew? You're welcome. See, I grew up my whole life thinking you couldn't eat them, <laughs> and you wanted to. I wanted to. They were like, Mark, it's like the one thing in the house you can't eat because it's poisonous. You will die. That's what they always told me. But no, not true. Fucking liars, all of them. All right, guys. So for my news story, we're going to go to January 25th, 1993. And I have some sad news to report here on the show because that was the day Sears announces that it's closing its catalog sales department after 97 years. It has been said that the Sears catalog serves as a mirror of our times, recording for future historians today's desires, 
Habits, Customs, and Mode of Living. In 1888, Richard Sears first printed the mailer to advertise watches and jewelry. Of course, the catalog for years after that exploded, catching popularity in the 70s, the 80s, and through the early parts of the 90s until, unfortunately, on January 25th, 1993, they decided they were going to end the Sears catalog. Of course, it did come back a few years later. They reintroduced like the Wish Book for nostalgia reasons. Uh, interesting side note, uh, Richard Sears initially wrote every line of text appearing in the catalog, drawing upon his personal experiences, losing languages and expressions that he heard from his very own customers. So This product fucking sucks. Yeah, it was basically, if he heard people talk <laughs> about his products from in person, in, in the stores, while selling to them, he would incorporate those conversations into the product descriptions. Huh. So, that's the origins of the Sears catalog. Seriously, that's the end of an era for us with the wish book. I know they brought it back, but it was never the same as the one that was from the 80s. All 600 pages. Yeah, no, the big book was <laughs> uh, gigantic. You can go online now and look at some of these, and they're fantastic to go through. And like like I said in the beginning, it's a mirror of our times. It really does serve as a way to look back at our past because you have the fashions, the toys, the jewelry, Anything about our culture was defined by the Sears catalog. So that was a sad day in 1993. So that's what I got for my news story. The end of the Sears catalog. What wouldn't have, what would have happened to them if they kept the catalog a couple more years? Now they're like, what, like 70% of the Sears are closed? Yeah. Maybe that's what Ridiculous. they got to do. Was just bring back catalog shopping. Just cut back on bring the them back. Pages. Bring back consumers. That's right. Service merchandise. Even if it's virtual catalogs at this point, you know, that's fine. It's still better than looking at stuff in a browser search. Has some artistic True. display to it, you know? That's all I'm saying. You need Richard Sears writing all the descriptions, too. But anyhow, what do you guys have for 83? All right, Bobby, you go first. January 19th, 1983, we got the release of one of Apple's first computers to feature a graphical user interface, or what we now call a GUI. The Lisa debuted with an astronomical price tag of $9,995. That would be somewhere around $26,000 in the year 2020. With a price point like that, it's no wonder this thing bombed royally. Apple had the idea that executives who were too stupid to use command-based computers like the IBM, would take out a second mortgage on their homes to use this brand new graphical user interface. The Lisa project began around 1979, and cost Apple around $50 million to develop. The Lisa was Steve Jobs' project initially, but he was kicked off the job in 1982, and moved over to work on the Apple Macintosh which of course debuted to much success the next year. So perhaps this massive flop led to the Macintosh being born? But again, January 19, 1983, we got the announcement of the Apple Lisa. Now blow me where the Pampers is. <laughs> <laughs> That's why nobody bought it. They thought they were buying a hooker and they got a computer. They're going, this is Lisa shit. All right, Carlos. All right, so yeah, so mine, we got January 18th, 1983. The Olympic Committee showing they have a soul, or if you strong-arm them enough, they'll do something. They give uh, or restore Jim Thorpe's Olympic medals back to him. Uh, so those who are unfamiliar, uh, back in 1913, the committee uh, decided to strip Jim Thorpe of his Olympic titles uh, and medals because uh, of his amateur status. Uh, I guess it ruled, the ruling came from this uh, um, telegram that basically an article saying that he played professional baseball in the summer times, which 
a lot of people felt it was unfair because a lot of college athletes, especially baseball players, would play professionally in the summers and they would do it under other aliases. So they wouldn't be found out that they're being paid, you know, to play professionally, but they got to support their lives and, and stuff like that. So they did what they had to do. And Jim Thorpe was part of that, except he didn't use an alias. And so that's how he was caught. But so many people felt that it is unfair. Um, you know, it took years and years, 30 years after his death in 1983 in January is when the Olympic Committee finally, uh, after a push from U.S. Congress, it took Congress to step in and tell the Olympic Committee that uh, just basically like the NCAA, that this amateur status stuff is, is pretty much bullshit. And let's let's restore these medals. And so they had their little mini ceremony and he's awarded the re restored the medals to his family. And he's like co co winner with the other person at this point. So just shows, like I said, that the Olympic Committee can have a soul, but it's probably more or less once you force them with, a, you know, a national government. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how you said in 1913, these guys played baseball under fake names and nobody knew. Can you imagine that in 2020? It would be oh impossible. You can't do anything. You can't do no. Everybody knows who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be... Uh, it's absurd. What's your handle, man? Hey, wait. I, I, wait, wait, wait a second here. <laughs> yeah, you're on my Facebook. I mean, we got three mutual friends. Danny Almonte was like 50 years too late. He would have been great back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was like 23 playing on a little league team. Yeah. All right. Let's oh, throw it man. down to our judge, David Schultz. For the judgment, for the news uh, round. Okie dokie. Uh, 1993, uh, Man Crush brought up an article that ruined my life completely. <laughs> what, are you going to eat them now? Yeah, I was. I was eating them up and nobody else wanted them. I was getting fat off poinsettias, you know, and this fucking guy comes along, <laughs> writes his little article in Orlando, and then everybody else says, hey, we can eat them too. So there you go. There, that, that ended healthy eating for me. Ever since then, it's nothing but greasy fat meat. Um, now, Mark, the Sears catalog, you did, I mean, that, it was the king of junk mail, right? Oh, yeah. Even Carlos mentioned it was like 600 pages. It's like getting a phone book in the mail that you didn't necessarily ask for, but you were kind of happy with getting because, like you said, you get toys in there. You get, you know, random stuff. You got underwear. That's your, If that's the kind of thing that floats your boat, I don't know. Depends on how old you are and whatever. But you did, you did mention they brought it back. Now, when they did that, un, under what capacity did they do so? Was it a full catalog or what was it? Uh, well, after they originally canceled the big book, they kept the tools book for the craftsman stuff. And then like oh. around 2005, they brought back just the wish book around the holidays. And that was basically just the toys and clothes and stuff for the kids. So you never get the big old happy shebang yet no, you, again. You, you never got anything compared to, you never got anything like what the uh, the big book gave us, which was, you know, 600 pages of photographic glory. Did you guys oh. ever order anything out of there and actually get it? Or you just circled everything and just never <laughs> yes. received it as a gift? Actually, Because that's my life. Both. Like, <laughs> I would get, like, say I circled Transformers, I'd get GoBots. So I guess I got sort yeah. of. Like, well, what's the generic <laughs> version of what he circled? I'll get that. <laughs> I swear yeah. to God, if I had a fucking nickel for every time that Man Crush brought up the GoBots. Dude, that's I'd what I like, got. I got fucking GoBots. They were like, I know, but you talk about it every chance you get. It's like, I have to go fund me for you. So this you is like some, some legit Transformers. It's like GoBots <laughs> Anonymous, man. 
<laughs> there you go. Well, I'll, I'll say one thing. The demise of that catalog, there were mailmen all over the country whose shoulders thanked them. Um, oh, sure. Okay, now off to 83. Bobby brought up the Apple Lisa, which, uh, yeah, I guess it was a major failure. But I, it, when you were selling that one, I, I wasn't really sure if it was newsworthy or if it was like a, a product thing. But it... It definitely wasn't a hot product, obviously, so I guess we can still consider it news. And then um, Carlos brought up restoring Jim Thorpe's medals, and boy, that must really fucking suck. You're disgraced, you live, you die, and then years later they say, oopsie, <laughs> our bad, you're going to get your medals back, you know? But this guy, I, I don't know if we have any of the further details on his life. Did he die drunk and penniless because of this, or what? I didn't see any part of you that. You know what? Yeah, I his, think he his was. family fought for him for 30 years after. I think he was, though. He has a town named after him in Pennsylvania. That's something. It's better than nothing, I guess. But All right, this one's actually a tough one for me to pick. It really is. I almost feel like pulling out my copy of Flipper again, but it's still <laughs> laying on the floor, and I'm too fat and lazy to bend over and pick it up. Uh, hey, listen. Whoosh, Poinsettia whoosh. could be the new yeah. kale, bro, because like in the 90s, wasn't it Pizza Hut was like the biggest purchaser of kale and they used it to like put around their buffet counter or That's whatever? Right. Dude, now that people know this article, they might start eating kale, might be the healthiest shit in the world. People are eating garnish. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that, but like maybe. I don't know. But the Lisa <laughs> Lisa being a failure, we would we don't have the Mac. We just we wouldn't have a lot of things. Very inspirational. It's it's generationally inspirational. Just watch out next holiday season when we get the poinsettia McFlurry, okay? <laughs> the poinsettia lights at latte. I think because of all the poinsettia talk here, I might have to go with 93. Because, listen, it's just one of those categories where uh, nothing really jumped out at me like, whoa, you know what I mean? But I definitely think 93, the details here had a little bit more flair, a little bit more fun about them. So for that reason, I'm going to choose 93. Ooh, at least nobody died. Well, okay. Well, unless you ate too many poinsettias, in which case you, you might have gotten <laughs> you got the shit really sick. But retro stallions is still plenty of rounds left to play. But this one, I am going to go with the Mama Luke's. Oh man! All right, man. All right, crush. All right. We jump out to a two nothing lead. What category do you think we should choose next? Mm, I was not expecting that one. That was uh, sort of a fun round for us. I was not either. I say we Rub go. It in, why uh, don't you? I'm trying to think what you had. I'm between TV and music, so your call. Pick whatever. Yeah, let's go with television. All right, sure. All right, guys. I will start us off. Uh, my television pick is a little television show that you may have heard of that debuted in January of 1993. January 31st, 1993, we got the debut of Homicide, Life on the Streets. Uh, this show won four primetime Emmy Awards, was nominated for another 82 awards. Uh, this was just an absolute fantastic show and really set the early tempo for crime dramas on TV. I think there was a, a period of time in the early 90s where crime dramas took a, a hard shift. They got a lot more grittier, and uh, I think Homicide Life on the Street was one of the early shows that really portrayed that true-to-life feel. The really noteworthy thing about this show is it did last seven years and did win awards. We talked about that. But there was a particular character that got his start on this show. And this character has spanned over 20 years, 23 seasons of network television, along with the main cast of Homicide, SVU. 
We're talking about Detective John Munch, who everyone knows from SVU, actually got his start on the first seven seasons of Homicide Life on the Street. Uh, Richard Belzer appeared as Detective John Munch in a total of 10 different television series. He was a regular on Homicide Life on the Street, on two different versions of Law & Order. He was on The X-Files, The Beat, Arrested Development, Law & Order Trial by Jury, and The Wire, and also 30 Rock. He was also mentioned in an episode of Luther. So one of the most beloved television detectives of all time, John Munch, got his start on Homicide Life on the Streets, debuting January 31st, 1993. Remember when he got choked out by Hulk Hogan when he had his TV show? Yeah, Richard Hogan's Belzer. those best? Is that what you're re- referring to? No, he had a talk show, and Hogan came out. This was like right before it was at WrestleMania 1. Yeah, it was like 84, I think. Yeah, he was saying how wrestling was fake, and Hogan puts him in a headlock and chokes him, and it's like a front face lock, and he legit chokes him out, drops him. Richard Belzer hits his head on the floor, cracks his head open, blood all over the floor. He was legit knocked out for 30 seconds. Pops up, looks at the camera, and instinctively says, we'll be right back right after this. <laughs> Bleeding. Turns and walks away, and you can see the blood dripping on his head. Go check it out on YouTube. It's great. <laughs> Not as great as Homicide Life yeah. on the Streets. He's like, but. screw this. I'm becoming a detective on television show. This shit's too real. It was almost Homicide on the set of Richard Belzer. <laughs> Poor bastard. Well, he did get like a, a pretty large settlement out of that, I believe. Yeah, he, he he went on for years to say that he has a nice chateau in the south of France because of Hulk Hogan. So we should visit. Yeah, Richard Belzer doing great for himself. All started January of ninety three. I guess either win the lottery or get choked out by Hulk Hogan. Yes. The only two choices we have. <laughs> Homicide by Hogan. There you go. That's it. <laughs> Well, it's funny that you should mention that. This is why I said it. January 11th, 1993. Uh, you know what? Third time's the charm, I think, right? Uh, last time I brought this to Judge Dave Schultz, we had the Montreal screw job, and I was met with a, eh, oh. eh. And, uh, you know, here's your chance to redeem yourself because the wrestling fans on our Facebook were not too happy oh. with that snub. So here we go. This one's television, 27 seasons, 1,390 episodes, the flagship show of the WWE since that evening and the longest running episodic show on television today. And it's fitting to me because a few months back, I had the predecessor to the show, which was primetime wrestling as my pick. But WWF Raw took things to a whole new level, brand new heights. Particularly during the Attitude Era in the late 90s, the show was a pop culture phenomenon. You couldn't go anywhere without people freaking uh, chopping at their crotch and shit. Every Monday night you had this. But here's the important thing that changed the landscape of wrestling. And listen up, Dave. I know you hate wrestling, but here it is. Raw was much different than any show before it. Because on this show, it was taped well, most of the old, let me tell you, most of the old shows, they were taped at like house shows on the weekend and they would chop them up like primetime wrestling and they would show you clips. Well, lo and behold, you got raw. This film, this was filmed before a live studio audience. So you got to see all the matches live. You got to see the storylines play out live. Definitely changed the way that we watch our professional wrestling. And it is the preferred way to consume sports entertainment. Would you say that's correct, Mark? Oh, Absolutely, 100%. Like, if you see something taped, I don't even want to watch it anymore. No. 
No, no. It has to be live. It's that unpredictable moment where anything could happen. That's why you have to watch it. That's why people watch sports live. If you, you're not going to go on and watch an NFL game from three seasons ago. No, because you want that unpredictable thing. And that's what Monday Night really Raw unpredictable? brought to. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it is, no. though, because I don't know what the storyline is. <laughs> somebody could bring, somebody yeah, could bring, God forbid, knock on wood. I always watch from this shit. From a certain point of view, as Obi-Wan would say. <laughs> I always watch this now, especially with AEW and all the high-flying spots they do. I, I the entire time I'm watching the show, I'm just like, oh, oh my god! Like, cause you don't, dude. These guys can break their necks. It's crazy, and it's, it happens live. But this changed it all right here, uh, January 11th, 1993. All right, over to you guys. All right, Bobby, I'll I'll jump into this one on TV. We're gonna go January 10th, 1983. This is a show premiering in the U.S. and Canada from a person, one of my favorite people. From making all my favorite shows growing up. So Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock making its a worldwide premiere. And basically we have five seasons of Jim Henson creating magic. Again, you know, we have we have different versions of the Muppets. We have we have our, our we have all a mixture of puppets and people just like in most shows, but this one just took on a little bit different. We had all different types of characters, sizes, different scenarios. I loved it. Uh they had Traveling Matt, which uh Tim Clark I actually had had the chance of having him on. We talked about it, um, and then of course, this is one of many productions that you know created a huge following. So still to this day, you know people are obsessed with Fraggle Rock. You know it it spun off to like books, comics, animated series, music albums, and they've been developing a feature film for about a decade now. But uh, <laughs> you know once Weinstein's done with his uh, court proceedings, which I know will probably get over soon. Then we might get a Fraggle Rock uh, uh, movie. But, you know, still to this day, if anyone says Fraggle Rock, you automatically hear that theme song, that that upbeat theme song and it panning through, you know, through their through their little ta- through their little cave, seeing all the different different little villages they have set up, how how different societies live and how they interact with the outside world. So it just it had so many it, it had so many different like issues that it dealt with, you know, like with with fantasy creatures like personal identity, the environment, social conflict. So it wasn't just a kid show. It definitely had something to say. So within five seasons, I think it created, like what Jim Henson always did, create a show that was magical as kids and even as adults. So Fraggle Rock, still to this day, I'll rock it out. I still feel bad for the Dozers. Oh, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Man. They got Constantly screwed over. shit on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess we rebuild that. <laughs> yeah, fucking build that stuff all day long, and they're just going to come on and just break it off and eat it. Goddamn like, Fraggles. Yeah. And their shit douchebags yeah see the fraggles were always portrayed as the as the heroes of the show no i think the fraggles are the villains i think so it's like it's like the karate kids the villain now it's like we gotta it's you look back it's flipped we have to revisit this right that's a good pick though fraggle rock was definitely even though it was on hbo as a kid i watched normal shows like i watched because my sister was eight years older than me so my parents didn't give a shit anymore so i just watched normal movies but I still watch Fraggle Rock. One of the few shows that I like. I didn't watch any cartoons, but I watched Fraggle Rock. So that is a good pick. I like that. Nice. All right, Bobby. Over to you. What do you got? Sunday, January 23rd, 1983. Here is a show that everyone knows. It's iconic and some find it a shock that it only lasted for five seasons. 
The folks at NBC delivered a show that night that would be a pop culture phenomenon for years to come, and in the process gave us one of the most beloved mean guys with Mr. T's portrayal of the infamous B.A. Barakas. The show initially launched its first season as the 10th overall show in the TV ratings, followed up in its second year with its strongest performance as the 4th overall rated show that year. Followed up by being rated TV show at 6th in year 3 before disappearing into obscurity in its 5th season falling out of the top 30 before being cancelled. Even though this show was short-lived, it's still one of the most beloved TV series of all time. Colonel Hannibal Smith, Templeton Peck, Howling Mad Murdoch, and Bad Attitude Barack Cuss will forever be summited in television history as perhaps one of the most fun action shows ever. Sex, War, Violence and Mr. T, what else can you ask for? For the last 37 years, five-year-olds have been pitying the fool because of Mr. T. I pity the fool that doesn't record his audio. Back to scratching my robot balls. I, I, I can't argue with A-Team. It's a, it's a big show. You guys had a solid fucking thing. It, like, here's the thing with TV. In January, you're not going to get any debuts. So when you get gems like this, this is a really solid TV month. So, Dave, your fucking work is cut out for you on this one. Seriously. Let's go down to Judge Dave Schultz for the ruling for the television round. <laughs> okay, 93. Um, okay, Mark, selling me or selling me a category with Richard Belzer is kind of like taking a first date to KFC. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Mashed potato bowl, bro. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, it's finger licking good. I do respect the whole the whole fact that Munch has been around forever, you know, I can understand that. He almost got killed by Hulk Hogan. Hey, that's pretty impressive, too. I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. Um, Man Crush, you mentioned that I insulted the wrestling fans on your Facebook page. Yeah. Is this true? Yeah, in the group. They were not happy about the well, uh, the Montreal Screwjob. Losing out to, I forgot who it lost out to, but it was a far inferior show. So they were not happy. Well, you can tell them all. Tell them all to pull their trailers up to my lawn and they can talk to me ah, about it. Okay? So stereotypical. <laughs> Well, listen, Raw, yeah, the cultural impact is huge. I'm not a wrestling fan, obviously, but, I mean, I know Raw. I know it's had this lasting impact on Americans. I don't even know about worldwide, but our culture, I mean, it's still on today. Oh, it's worldwide. You, it, we're, okay, worldwide. There you go. It's, even in Saudi Arabia. Really? Yeah. I did not know that, nor do I respect Saudi Arabians anymore. <laughs> but... um. <laughs> You do lose some points on this for not bringing up Coco Beware, because that is my one rule about wrestling. If you want to talk about wrestling with me, if you bring up Coco Beware, we're going to be okay. If you don't, we're not. Um, but you got that point back, because when you were when you were showing us an example of how you react during live wrestling, you basically told us that your butthole clenches every time <laughs> yes. that an exciting move comes Seriously, on TV. Seriously, it does. <laughs> You were like, yeah, like, oh. I was like, is he in pain? Should we call? <laughs> yeah, should we call 911? Uh, okay, 83. Fraggle Rock, dude, big show. That was a big show in my youth. Um, like Man Crush, I believe you said you didn't have HBO. I didn't either, but my grandmother did. And uh, they actually had a character based on my aunt's boyfriend, which was a talking trash heap. So it was nice <laughs> to have something to relate to there. And uh, Bobby's been a big seller so far on this uh, this show, but he really brought it home with the A-Team, even though I do have to disagree with one thing. I don't know many five-year-olds nowadays out there pitying the fool, but I wish there were, in fact, more. <laughs> but uh, that show is just, I mean, I still watch the A-Team 
again, it's still on in syndicate. It's time. It's absolutely timeless. I can't get enough of it. I love it. And, uh, I think, uh, the stallions here have redeemed themselves and won the TV round and the uh, fans can continue to lynch me on Facebook while raw was, was a big one for you, man crush. It just couldn't beat the AT. But listen, you, you, the fine points you left out there. This is the sure. show that turned on live wrestling to television. It's mm-hmm. it's been the same ever since. Prior to that, so you, you didn't no have more that. pre-recorded ever. Well, every now and then, but it's like oh. your main shows. Like you just got AEW uh-huh. that popped up all live. I mean, every now and then you're going to have a pre-recorded because of a holiday or whatever. So that's a given. But this changed uh-huh. the way that it was recorded because prior to this, shit was recorded at house shows and the, you had like two commentators that sat at a desk and they told you it was coming up. The only time you got it live was when you ordered it on a pay-per-view and you watched like a, a WrestleMania 1, which Mr. T was at, a WrestleMania 2, WrestleMania right. 3. You didn't have this on your Monday nights. You had pre-recorded, this is what we saw this past week in the WWF. This changed the the whole uh-huh. dynamic of wrestling. So you missed that fine point yeah. there. But it's okay, because A-Team's a the shit. I'm well, not going to take it away from A-Team. But hey, was Dwight Schultz ever on Raw? Dwight Schultz? Yeah, from the A-Team. I, I'm sure he was in the crowd at an event or two. <laughs> oh, Took his come kid on. Down. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't. So therefore, you still talking lose about, the round. I thought you were saying David Schultz. I was like, I don't know. Were you fucking there, bro? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, no, not me. I wouldn't be caught dead there. I was talking about Dwight Schultz, the, the actor from the A-Team. But I guess that went over your it head. Did, it it's did, no big it deal. It doesn't I matter. you, like, fucked up your own name. I, I wouldn't do that purposely uh, unless I was talking to the cops. But anyway, point remains the same. 83, you've redeemed yourself. You win this round. But thank you, Man Crush, for the history on Raw. I will um, forget that in about 10 minutes. <laughs> All right, the Stallions pick up a point, brings the score to two to one with the Mamelukes still in the lead, but it's still anybody's game. Don't worry, duelers, we'll be right back to play more Dueling Decades after these important messages. All right, you guys have control of the board. Bobby, what what do you want to go with, my man? I would prefer to go with hot products. I'm going to make these guys my bitch. Let's do it. You're up. January 31st, 1983. Thankfully, I'm a robot and I had the chance to fact check. Instead of the erroneous original report given by my human counterpart that Cabbage Patch Kids were released in January 1983 with little to no detail. I borrowed some technology from Cyberdyne Systems and was able to transport myself back in time to the Montreal Toy Manufacturer's annual trade show, which began January 31, 1983. Lo and behold, the Canadian toy division of Coleco was on hand for the event, where they were diverted attendees to the St. Ambrose Street Coleco plant a few blocks away from the trade fair to display their mock hospital setting, and their newly acquired Cabbage Patch Kids. Since no one needs to hear the story again about Cabbage Patch Kids, they went on to sell millions of these squishy, ugly babies in 1983. Believe it or not, I was more of a speak and spell fan myself. Fuck yeah. All right, Carlos, what do you got for the hot products round? All right, so January 1983, we're going to your local mall. We're going to your local uh, theater to get into the arcade to play Tron, which goes on to win the best arcade game of the year in January 1983, uh, stemming from the previous year, of course. And uh, 
Tron was a game that I played a lot. You know, I'd go to the malls with my mom, and I'd just be like, I'd be like I'm going out, give me some quarters, I'm hitting up. Uh, it was either TMNT, some off-road, a little bit of Tron action. And it just, because it was, felt like it was just like a different type of game all around, because, you know, everyone kind of had the same gimmick, side-scroller, beat-em-up type things, and Tron just took on a whole a whole new uh, whole new situation. Uh, and, and the whole controller, the way they had the joystick and everything on there uh, made it even more cool. But it was awarded, um, you know, the Coin Operator Game of the Year by Electronic Games. Games Magazine, same year. Uh, it made $45 million by the time 1983 came out. Uh, in the U.S., an estimated 10,000 cabinets were sold, and the game made more, um, yeah, even an additional $30 million by the end of 1983. Uh, so it, the game was one of the most popular games at the arcades, always had a line. Everybody wanted to get after some Tron, especially because the movies just kind of blew everybody away. Even though you look back at the the effects now, they, they might not all hold up, but the, the concept is still there uh, and everything. So so, of course, I'm a fan of the uh, sequel that came out a few years ago. And so it's, it's just stayed in the, in the zeitgeist for a long time through the arcade, through the TV show, the animated show on the Disney Channel. Uh, they also, and I think Tokyo uh, Disney, they have a full-on Tron uh, theme, theme ride there as well. So Tron has been around for a while, and I don't think it's going anywhere, especially if we get another Daft Punk soundtrack. I'm all over it. Um, so <laughs> Tron being uh, the best arcade game of the year, 1983. All right, Man Crush, that's over to us All right. for the Hunt Products round. Do you want to start this one off, or should I first? Uh, you should start it off, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention one thing beforehand. I have had Cabbage Patch Kids as a pick here. They actually started in 78 as little people, and then in 81, uh, Xavier was – I want to say Xavier Woods, but Xavier Roberts. Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> he actually sold it to Coleco. So they did get big in 83, but they were around before that. So I just want to throw that one out there. It was Well, I have it in there because they went through different iterations, as small names, small sizes. But the official you – know, like when they were bought out and they were rebranded essentially. Official rebranding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just throwing out facts. Go ahead, Mark. All right, guys. So for my hot products pick, you know, here on the show, sometimes we do our research and we look for some hot products that, you know, like Cabbage Patch, iconic products. Well, I found a product that's originally they produced 300 million of these. Uh, but unfortunately, once the advance demand proved to be way too many, they had to produce another 200 million just to meet the initial demand of this product. I'm going to take you back on a little trip to the early 1990s here in America, a time when our country was completely polarized. The country was divided because in the early 1990s, we had a major decision that we had to make here in America. And that was what depiction of Elvis Presley was going to be on our stamps. <laughs> After a year-long campaign, the United States Postal Service had a special midnight first day ceremony on January 8th, 1993 for the long-awaited Elvis Presley stamp. Uh, they had a short battling period from April 4th to April 26th in 1992, and I distinctly remember this because you could not go to any relative's house at that time for either Thanksgiving or around this time at Easter. This was the topic. This is how America was polarized. Do we want old Elvis on our stamp, or do we want the young, youthful Elvis on our stamp? That big day finally came on January 8th, ninety-three which would have been Elvis's 58th birthday, when you could finally purchase one of these Elvis stamps. Uh, they made 517 million of these stamps. It is the most widely publicized and best-selling U.S. commemorative stamp in history. 
So January 8th, 1993, you could get yourself the very young-looking Elvis Presley stamp. Dude, that's awesome. Like, I, when Mark sends me his picks, I swear to God, I just glimpse at them because I like to hear it fresh. So it's like I'm being surprised. And I thought you were going to go for, like, hyper-color T-shirts. So I'm fucking thrilled that you went with the Elvis stamp over that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they... Over 500 million. They had to produce 200 million more because of the ad- early advance. Like people that were wanting these things. They had a celebration at Graceland. Lisa Marie was there. Priscilla was there. It was a big thing at the time. So, yeah, it was a, a magical time in our country when we were polarized and divided over such a topic as what depiction of Elvis do we want on our stamp? I remember that. My mom bought fantastic. like a bunch of them, she didn't use them. She just like saved him because she was a huge Elvis yeah. fan, which a lot of people probably did the same shit. It's like kind of reminds me of that uh, that scene from um, what's that Richard Pryor movie where he gets all the Brewster's Millions where he mails the, uh, the upside down the plane. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nobody was mailing those and for a couple of years at least. Uh, but anyhow, this is what I got: January twenty third, nineteen ninety three, and this because of they had the Gore Bill, which was passed in nineteen ninety one which, of course, was introduced by Senator Al Gore at the time, our future vice president. Programmers Mark Andreessen and Eric Bina were given funding to create the Mosaic web browser. If you're an old head like myself that's been on the Internet for far too fucking long, then you are aware that this browser resulted in the Internet craze of the 90s. There were few browsers prior to this, like me personally, I used Viola at the time before Mosaic came out, but Mosaic was the catalyst. Before Mosaic, there was no internet browser that could display images and inline text simultaneously. So in order to see an image, you had to show it in another window. So in spite of that, most websites at the time, they were all text. Uh, but after Mosaic was launched, that all started to shift you can even give Mosaic credit for starting the downfall of all the all-in-ones at the time, like CompuServe, Prodigy, QLink, Genie, and even AOL down the pipe. Um, Mosaic only stuck around for about four years. That's because Mark Andreessen, he actually left, and he became the head programmer. Well, he was the head programmer at Mosaic, but he became the head programmer again for Netscape Navigator, which is basically just like uh, Mosaic with bells and whistles. And, of course, Netscape Navigator became one of the first companies to capitalize the World Wide Web at the time. But just to demonstrate how important Mosaic was, in June of 1993, there were less than 200 websites. And the web, as an internet service, represented 0.5% of internet services in 1993. FTP was number one. It had like 40-something percent or whatever. File transfer protocol. That's where we were all sharing our fucking files and whatnot, sharing our fucking pirated games. Oh, I'm sorry, our free software. Uh, but <laughs> by by 1997, though, <laughs> there were an estimated 650,000 websites, and the web was close to 40 percent of the internet services that were used. And by comparison, at the end of 2019, there were 1.9 billion registered websites and about 200 million were active but mosaic you can look it up anywhere this is the fucking catalyst for the internet that we know now 
Mosaic browser, January 23rd, 1993. I was always a Netscape kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, this, that's where it came from. Or the AOL CDs that <laughs> still stack up in people's basements. You wouldn't have had those if it wasn't for Mosaic. Or, and this is why Al Gore says all the time that he created the World Wide Web. Yeah. Because he had a hand in the money that went to this. So I guess if you look at it a, he's along an about way, he's, he's still a fucking dope. But I guess. You and know. it's still relevant in pop culture today because a few years back, AMC had that show, Halt and Catch Fire. And in the final season of that show, the web browser that they're building in that show is based upon what Mosaic was. So that's the final step of technology that that show, obviously it's a fictionalized version of what really happened, but it's their telling of the mosaic story kind of. So sweet. David Schultz, judge David Schultz. All right. Thank you. Uh, man crush. Now, if I don't pick you to win in this category, Will the nerds on the Facebook group start throwing their pocket <laughs> protectors at me? I really don't understand why you wouldn't pick this. I mean, I would. Well, no, I would probably no, go apeshit if you. If cabbage you patch kids, because people weren't running over. Moms weren't running over each other. Ca- let, let me just throw this out about cabbage patch kids. <laughs> cabbage patch kids had a good year in '83. I'll give it that. Cabbage patch and, kids and the rest of the decade. No, 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 no. Listen, cabbage patch kids changed hands about five times. They kept oh, yeah. getting sold over and over and over, yeah. and over, and they were losing money after that first year, again and again and again. So, but they got that secondary market where they're getting <laughs> resold now. Yeah, where they're eBay. like eight dollars now. Like, hey, we we need a Beanie Baby uh, fallout again, okay? <laughs> it was. This was the Beanie Babies. Basically, Cabbage Patch Kids was the Beanie Babies of the eighties. I don't know about go that far. Uh, kind of was. I mean, people weren't beating people up for uh, Beanie Babies. I don't think right. my mom was a big Beanie Baby collector, which is fucking weird. But no, we used to beat people up for having Beanie Babies. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it was in reverse. <laughs> but you're talking about like the catalyst of the internet for the '90s. This built the internet. If you if the internet was text, picture every lazy person you know. Would they be using the internet if it was still text? Oh, it'd be too much like a book. Yeah, it'd be fuck. They no wouldn't do that read. shit. They'd be, well, they'd be uh, playing Tron at the arcade, basically. Because, uh, <laughs> it's the shit. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, Dave. No, in all in all in all fairness, man, crush Cabbage Patch dolls were huge. I'm sure they sold what five hundred million at least. Oh wait, no, only the stamp would do that. Hey, listen, the power guys, of you're Elvis. T- you're talking to a man who has an Xavier Roberts tattoo on me bum. <laughs> okay, I take Cabbage Patch very fucking serious. Uh, no, and listen, you know, Man Crush, you really went on the defensive there. When I just mentioned nerds throwing their pocket protectors. I'm actually very impressed by what you brought to the category. And uh, much like Mark brought up earlier, Mosaic was kind of the cause for the death of the Sears catalog, too, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> I guess maybe it was the death of everything, yeah, and and retail stores, I suppose. And the same thing when you're looking at a uh, porn online, you, you get to look get some <laughs> yeah. details along with the photo, and now you can do that at the same time. Oh, I'm looking at Cherry Bomb, and same, she's 23 in the same browser window. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, now, since we're still on, we're talking about 93 in the mosaic. I also want to bring up the stamps because I remember that vividly. Mm-hmm. I bought some. Uh, I really wanted the old Elvis to win, even though the young Elvis did eventually win out. People wanted to remember him, 
you know, vital and everything else. I prefer to see him all sweaty with the big ass sideburns. <laughs> but again, what the hell did I know? I was an old Elvis fan too. I actually thought the design of that stamp was a little bit better than the uh, all pink young Elvis. Yeah. Uh, and it was interesting that Man Crush said his mom bought a bunch of them because it it makes me think a little bit about the the bubble bursting on the comic book industry. Yep. Like people thought these were going to be worth a lot of money. Like your mom Problem. maybe yep. bought some thinking she's going to put you through college on them or something. Same thing with the Beanie <laughs> you know? Babies, bro. She had like, I'm, no exaggeration, she probably had like a couple hundred Beanie Babies. Yeah. And it yeah. ended up giving them away maybe like five years ago when they moved their house to another house. She just gave them all uh-huh. away because they were worth nothing. Yeah, see that? It's the saddest thing in the world. He put all that time and effort in for nothing. All right. Uh, Retro Stallions, Tron. The Tron game. Now, it was released in 83, Carlos mentioned, and it won the game of the year the next year? No, no, no. It, it was out the previous year, but it won in the beginning of 83 from the previous year. Okay, so it was actually released in 82. Ooh. Yes or no? Let me do a double. Let me do a double. <laughs> double Judge check. David Schultz. Let me see. Oh, I, I've been fooled before. I, I won't <laughs> let myself get fooled again. That's where you could drop the. Uh, won't be fooled again. Yeah. <laughs> you get the rights to that. Yeah, no, nah, then we get sued. <laughs> Save up your Elvis stamps for that one. All right. Yeah, it says it was released late or mid uh, eighty two, but like I said, the popularity, winning the award, was making it the hot product. I guess was the angle I was going at in regards to release, because I mean, we had slim pickings on on those things as well. Understandable. Understandable. Des- desperation I- is the key word there. <laughs> yeah, hey, it, I, I reek of it. Trust you and me. I stink of desperation every day of my life. But I did not say it was a release. I just said it won the award. So just kind of covering okay, my. Ground. I- I understand. I just want to double check because with it being a hot product, uh, you know, it, it technically wasn't released in that month. Uh, albeit, it did win the award that month, and I can appreciate that. It's not officially when it dropped, you know. So I'm gonna have to keep that in consideration. And then, but I will say this: is that Man Crush was really trying to tear the whole Cabbage Patch thing apart. Uh, <laughs> I, I think because he was so mad about thinking that I was gonna shit. No, all listen, over it's because I had I didn't have Cabbage Patch as a product. I had it for a news story. It was a Black Friday story when we did the Black Friday episode a couple months ago. So everything's kind of fresh still. So that's uh-huh. why. But it's I know, hey, but- no, I'm not taking anything away. In '83, it's a fucking juggernaut. Right. I just don't think it's a juggernaut over the course of the past 37 years. But it is a hot product of the time of January '83. Yeah. The videos of people attacking people over <laughs> Cabbage Patch. In 83 are phenomenal. I think more than anything, I think this category really shows what was great about this country and what we've forgotten and lost. What have we used to fight about on a daily basis? Cabbage Patch Kids and Elvis Stamps, people. (laughs) Well, you guys have been going so back and forth in here. I don't even know why I'm here as a judge. I should just drop a sword in the middle of the room and let you guys kill each other over this. Oh, thanks, thanks. But um, what I was trying to say earlier is... Whether it was the, the iteration 10, 1, 2 of the Cabbage Patch, I mean, that was still a big deal. That's when, again, the, the height of the popularity hit and people were, in fact, hurting each other for them. <laughs> but this this is actually a little tough for me. Again, kind of like the previous round. Um, but let me tell you, I'm going to – and Carlos, I'm sorry, but that Tron bit hurts you a little bit here. 
It really now, did. Well, and, the reason it yeah. won is because it is a hot product. It, it additionally sold $30 million more dollars after it won the award. So it was made an official hot product by yeah. winning the award. I, I get it. I understand where you're coming from. And, and, dude, you're selling it. I love it. But for me, as a judge, I really want something released in that month. That's when it was given birth and, uh, you know, Slim pickings, the world. Man. Slim I, fucking I, hey, pickings. Listen. I tell me, tell that to my wife. That's how she ended up with me. <laughs> Slim Pickens. But um, I am going to go with Mama Luke's in 93 on this one. Oh, we sneak out the victory on this Just, one, man. Listen, crush. it was it was bare. I'm talking Ooh. bare because that cabbage patch is a big fucking deal. Yeah, I think if it wasn't for the Tron technicality. I don't even yeah, think that's a technicality, honestly. I think I disagree. No, I, I think the Tron <laughs> thing, like he said, we do like to go for it in that month, but Tron right. did get way bigger that year than it did in '82. So, well, let let the Tron fans on your Facebook group come <laughs> after me too for crying. Let me just insult everybody. <laughs> well, they wouldn't even be on our okay? Facebook group if they didn't have Mosaic. So it's a, it's a big deal. Well, there you go. You just sealed the deal. Thank you very much. Carry on. All right, so that means the Mamelukes win this one, but we still have one round to play. That's the music round. Even though the score right now is four to one, I feel like it's very, it's been very close this entire thing. Oh, absolutely. More than some of the other games, I think the matchups in this one have been pretty even. So and let's head well, over to hold the on. I wanted to throw this out. So what we've been doing lately is every week, part of our trivia, every Wednesday, our episode drops, and we're giving everybody the opportunity to listen to the episode, give us your own judgments. And for the last two episodes, it's been pretty spot on with what the judges have picked. I think, and this is why I said it earlier, I think this is one of those episodes where I'm going to see a lot of back and forth, where there's going to be a lot of people say 83, there's going to be a lot of people say 93. It's not going to be as cut and dry. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what the duelers in the uh, Facebook community have to say about this episode. So... Get those answers in. Get 20 points up on the leaderboard. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Man Crush, let's head over to the music round. Do you want to start this one off? Uh, you start this one off. All right, Duelers. You know, folks, I'd like to tell you about a song, about the American dream, about me, about you, about the way our American hearts beat down in the bottom of our chests, about the special feelings we get down in the cockles of our hearts. Well, maybe below the cockles, maybe in the subcockle areas. Maybe in the liver, maybe in the kidneys, maybe even in the colon. We don't know. Of course, if you haven't figured out what song I'm talking about, my music selection for this week is Dennis Leary's Asshole off the smash hit album No Cure for Cancer, released January 12th, 1993. Uh, I'm sure everybody is extremely familiar with this song as it was a staple of all of our use. You know, and I think this is 1993. And in 2019... I think the term toxic masculinity was coined. Now, if there was anything that was toxic toxic masculinity before then, it was Asshole by Dennis Leary. His whole routine was just absolutely phenomenal. This album was recorded live at Irving Plaza in New York City on October 10th, 92. And then when they put out the album on January 12th, 93, it was also made into a book, a television special, and then the album CD compact disc. It is an absolutely phenomenal just stand-up performance. Uh, the song itself became a minor hit, gaining popularity on MTV and much music, which is kind of interesting because the song itself is riddled with profanity. So they had to edit down the song quite a bit, although all of the assholes actually still stayed in the song. 
the word asshole is said 27 times. Uh, the word fuck is said four times. Piss is used three times. Goddamn is even also other, uttered. Uh, the censored video beeped out all those words except for asshole. And that being said, the, still, the song still became a hit. Uh, getting a lot of play on MTV. It was also popular in Australia, of all places, Was vo- and it was voted number one by Australian Youth Radio and reached number two on the singles charts. So that's my music selection. It's Asshole by Dennis Leary off No Cure for Cancer, released January 12th, 1993. Can, can the judge hop in on this real yeah, quick? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Is that... Uh, you know, you guys already lost the round because Mark just made me think of that chorus, which is fucking terrible. And I haven't even had to think of it in the last 20 years. And now it's going to be on repeat in my brain for the rest of the evening. So fuck you, Mark. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. I'm an asshole. Leo, 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 Leo. Yodel somewhere else. Go yodel on the prices right, will you? We thought you'd like that one, him being a Massachusetts guy and all that. Nah, fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we got uh january 19th 1993 uh you know like mark and i don't get to do the 90s much but we're gonna change that this year in 2020 mark and i are gonna do a lot more 90s like we mentioned earlier but this particular pick is really 90s and from doing the 80s for like two years i don't think i had one song or album that I said, oh, that's so 80s. But this one is so 90s to me. Uh, it just makes me feel like a freshman in high school, like all over again. It makes me want to like talk some like gibberish Jamaican, like Padua man. You guys know where I'm going? <laughs> <laughs> this year album had two singles. Uh, it ended up being certified platinum. And they featured one track that was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for seven consecutive weeks. It easily cemented itself as one of the biggest tracks of 1993. But this particular dance hall reggae song, it happened to become one of the most recognizable tracks of the 90s, but technically became the biggest reggae single of all time, sales-wise, of course. Let me give you a little background on this. In 1989, this artist, whose real name, is Darren Kenneth O'Brien was arrested for two counts of attempted murder for his involvement in a knife fight. While he was sitting there in jail, he started writing down some words, and they were, Informer, detective man, daddy snow stabbed someone down the lane. (laughs) What the fuck? Well, he was acquitted of those charges. Uh, He only served eight months at the time for aggravated assault. So he gets out of jail. He goes to New York. He does an album. While this album is being shopped, He goes back to jail for a year over attacking somebody with a fucking crowbar. He gets to see his video for the song Informer on television while in jail. And then when he gets released from jail, he gets picked up in a limo. What kind of fucking fairy tale ending is that? Suck on that, Suge Knight. (laughs) At least the motherfucker's still in jail. But if you haven't figured it out, this album is 12 Inches of Snow by Snow. Uh, And... It's interesting because you said the thing about MTV before. In this video, MTV actually added subtitles on the Informer video, which was a complete rarity for them. But the video was so popular that they felt that people needed to know the lyrics because they didn't know fucking clue what this guy was saying. It's like, 
Lick your boom boom down, and then yeah, like I was like, just lick, lick your boom boom <laughs> down. Yeah, li- yeah. Some, I'm sure you play it at weddings and shit. Like it's fucking crazy. Never. <laughs> <laughs> Another interesting thing about Snow though is like since this guy was arrested and incarcerated so much during that period, he was actually banned from going to the countries to tour promote it because of his criminal record. And amongst those countries, the United States and Japan. But again, everybody knew this song. Whether you liked it or not, it takes me back. To my freshman year, there was a kid in uh, my Spanish class. We called him Snow. He got beat up with a bat one day. It was fucked up, but that's that's <laughs> well, what I remember. That escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, it was really. It was. He started shit with these guys, and uh, he brought like you know those mini bats. I don't even know if I'm allowed. A little, to little baseball, yeah, yeah, little ones like, give yeah, out. like yeah. souvenirs. He hid it in his sleeve because he knew he was getting in this fight, and uh, <laughs> the guys that he was getting in the fight with took it out of his sleeve and beat the shit out of him with it in the hallway. Did a uh, limo pick him up after I, school? They or? did not. It was not such a fairy tale oh. ending for this guy. Well, that's what happens when you try to lick someone's boom boom down. Yeah, I don't know. That might Maybe that's what happened. <laughs> Snow got beat up in her hallway. But that's that's my pick. Uh, January 19th, 1993, 12 inches of snow by Snow. All right. Over to the 1980s. What do you guys have for the music round? All right, so I'll jump in here. January 20th, 1983, third studio album from Def Leppard, Pyromania. This one rose all the way to number two in the charts. The only one keeping it was Michael Jackson's Thriller, which says a lot. The album uh, was a shift from the band's uh, traditional heavy metal, more toward the radio-friendly hits that we're probably more used to hearing. Uh, Hits like Photograph, Foolin', too late, uh, and uh, lo- uh, too late for love, and Rock of Ages, and so uh, selling over ten million copies. It's been certified uh, seven times, diamond, platinum, every every type of jewelry you can imagine. It's been certified. <laughs> Cubic zirconia. Yeah, it's got it all. So um, definitely, and then and they got a. I mean, they got a drummer with one arm. He plays drums better than I do with two arms. So you just have to hand it to him. <laughs> That's a great fucking album. And, dude, they're amazing. I saw them in that's That album cover is really cool, too. And they were still awesome live. And that now, of course, they're doing that tour with uh, Poison and Motley Crue and... I feel sorry for Joan them. Jett and the Blackhearts. <laughs> <Poison. laughs> Actually, no, you know what? Out of that entire lineup, they're the best performing live band still in that lineup. They were fucking I believe awesome it. in 2016. Hell yeah. Good Pour pick, some man. shook up ramen. Ha 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 Max Headroom ain't got nothing on me It's my turn again fuckers Prepare for another mic drop moment you shitbirds Instead of actually picking an album that came out in January of 1983 like my partner Carlos did I'm going to pick something that makes absolutely no sense when it comes to the game of dueling decades I could have selected Sweet Dreams Are Made of This by the Eurythmics Which was released in January 1983 However I'm going to be different and select a song that actually came out on the 1981 album Business As Usual by Men at Work. You see, the single Down Under hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in January 1983, and it made everyone want to go to Australia. So fuck the Eurythmics, I'm going with the single Down Under. Luckily, Carlos carried my robo-jock this round and we'll win anyways. Speaking of Down Under, toss my salad. Beat that, motherfuckers. Damn, you guys had the tits fucking music moment. yeah jeez wow and we're still gonna lose it <laughs> no i don't i i, I really i don't uh, think so all right let's find out what dave schultz thinks let's go down for the official ruling on this one 
All righty. Um, yeah, they won this round. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hands down. Um, but yeah, mentioning men at work down under. What else do you have to do to feel like you're in Australia? I would recommend watching Paul Hogan in Flipper. That might work for you as well. Crocodile Dundee himself. Uh, Pyromania is something that I was kind of embarrassed about when I was a kid. Carlos brought up how awesome the album cover was. Yeah, I was in band in school. I used to draw that on, on the snare drum, thinking I was like this rad whatever, and I was just a dork. But still, uh, Pyromania was insanely good. Okay, off to, to 93 here. Mark, still, fuck you. And then um, Man Crush with Snow, which I have an embarrassing memory about that as well, because at that time I was a weird owl in training, and my version of the song was Embalmer. <laughs> I would say, no, I swear to God. And I would sing, Embalmer, gonna fill up some dead bodies with some fluid now. And I would... And I would sing that to my friends, and they would fucking laugh and shit. But obviously, my my parody career never took off since I'm a judge on dueling decades. But uh, yes, uh, eighty three, you guys fucking crushed the music category. So we'll take it. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Take it for what it is. But uh, man, if you guys only had that around earlier, we'd have a more uh, competitive ending, right? A, I, I was hoping we were going to get that last round and we could top it off with this one, but strategy, uh, talk, talk about your all-time backfires. Yeah, like Man Crush said, you know, I'm really interested to hear what the audience has to hear about this round. Head on over to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades. Chime in. Let us know what you think. How did each round score on your scorecard? When you do that, you're going to get 20 points on the Dueling Decades leaderboards. Yeah, I mean, that was four to three. That's pretty damn close so i think uh the last two episodes were kind of landslides so i saw pretty much what the judges said i don't know if i'm going to see that this time around so i'm interested well good game fellas good game yeah good game to everybody uh bobby thanks for coming and playing with us this week thanks for having me on guys i thoroughly enjoyed all the extra work that went into adding this robotic audio track into this episode of dueling decades i gotta go i must get back to my fish police marathon Peace out, you fuck sticks. Carlos, didn't get the win again, man. What happened? Uh, you know, I think I'm going to have to start handing out some money or doing some reach-arounds or something. I don't know. i got to figure this out. I'll take both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Something's going to work. But I have to keep coming back to get that win, though. And Judge Dave Schultz, yeah. tell our audience where, where they can listen to your show, Selling Out. Uh, we are on all the major podcast platforms. You can find us at infirmary.org. And I do want to warn the fans of the show, if you do go on the Facebook page and undermine me in my rulings, I will find you. <laughs> Just like you guys can find me on all your social medias at Selling Out Show. You need to come on the Facebook group more. And I hate Facebook. I know, oh. I know you do, but like, do what I do. Like, I don't even look at the rest of Facebook. I deal with the 35,000 fans that we have on our normal page. Well, and then That's a nice thing to, to inspire you, 35,000 <laughs> yeah. fucking and then, fans. And then the 8,000 page in the, our private, the 8,000 fans in our private group, come in there and interact with them because I think they want to know like what Dave Schultz is all about. Yeah, you're inviting me into your Facebook group so I can get pounded nah, with a virtual you know sock full of quarters. It's a trap. <laughs> I I, yeah. I must say the people in our Facebook group are not a bunch of douches. 
No. No. They're like absolutely not. Like I, I'm in a bunch of groups where I'm like, fucking people are just unruly. They're really not that bad. They're they're pretty cool. Even the people that don't agree with stuff, it's not like they're going out and they're like, fuck you, you guys are fucking suck. They're just, you know, they're like, oh, I don't agree with that. And they'll send me a message about it or whatever. But I think it'd be cool if you went on there and interacted with them. I think you'd like it. No, the fuck you guys I can handle. It's just the clever people <laughs> yeah. that are smarter than me that might make a snide comment that I don't understand. That's what bothers me. <laughs> All right, duelers. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. If you've missed an episode, you can always go back to DuelingDecades.com where you'll find all of our content. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can subscribe to the show on Spotify or really wherever podcasts are available. In the meantime, duelers, head over, head on over to facebook.com forward slash dueling decades. Join our private group, share some of your retro memories, and let us know what you thought of this fantastic episode. So until next time, we will bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery.